Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today our fabulous guest is Joey Cafone, the founder of Berenfig, and we're going to talk about the laws of creativity today. This episode is brought to you by Zeppelin. Publish your finalized design in Zeppelin, and it will automatically notify the team of changes so everyone is on the same page. Zeppelin also provides specs for devs and organized commenting for feedback, so you can stay in your design tool and the team can collaborate with you in an organized workspace that everyone can understand. Get started for free at zeppelin.io. Hey, Joey. Jane, thanks for having me. Hello. We're extremely excited. Your your brand has been uh, an inspiration for all designers across the world for 10 years. And uh, we're honored to have you on the show today. Well, thank you. Wow, that's, that's high praise already. My goodness. Um, I appreciate that. I'm excited to talk. Congrats on your book, which is just about coming out as we as we're publishing this has not been published as we're talking so the book is called the laws of creativity what made you write that yes so like you said i founded a company named baron fig and we focused for years we still do on making tools to help you do your best thinking and then i have this book coming out called the laws of creativity a book that teaches you how to master your ideas so you can see it's tightly intertwined and I'm not writing the book for the business and I didn't make the business for the book. Obviously it's more like these are passions that are leaking into different forms about making things. So that's what I love to do. Um, I'm a designer under the hood and <laughs> you know, classically trained or whatever you want to say I've designed and art directed over a hundred products from zero. So the idea came from me and then all the way to the market. So it's, I've learned quite a lot. And my work in a nutshell is like, how do I help people turn their ideas into reality? Make sense so far? Absolutely. Yes. All right. So I like how you're saying under the hood, we should borrow that phrase. Oh, yeah. For those who don't know what Baron Fig does, and also I'm curious personally, uh, those hundreds of products that you're mentioning, are those all under Baron Fig brand or do you have a past preceding that or designing products, physical or digital? That's a good question. They, I'm not even counting anything non-Baron Fig, which would add to the number. Just like the last 10 years at Baron Fig, I've made all those products, digital, physical. I mentioned before the show, materials like plastic, metals, fabrics, there's a wood, there's quite a bit of stuff uh, too. And like, that's a lot. And I, I didn't intend to, I never wanted to be i love it but i never thought hey i'm going to be a multidisciplinary designer it was more i always actually wanted to just do book covers that was my <laughs> dream i want to go work at you know a random house here in new york city and make book covers uh but and i actually made it there i was in random house uh as an intern and they kept extending my stay because they liked what i was doing but i had the worst desk location or so they thought they put me i was actually they they extended my stay to a point where they the desk was that i was using had to be given to another new intern 
but they wanted to keep me around. So they stuck me in the copy room. It sounds like a terrible place, but actually the copy room is where everybody goes and has 30 to 90 seconds of downtime. No matter who you are, when you're going to copy something, you have to stand there and wait. And so all of a sudden I had all these people coming and talking to me, including legends. I won't name any legends, but like real heavy hitters that have, I'm sure they've designed more than a dozen things on your bookshelves. And they started to get nervous about their jobs because this was around the time the Kindle was just getting started. And they were wondering if a book cover goes from this beautiful thing on the shelf to this tiny little thumbnail, what is the industry going to look like? So all that's to say, then I was like, man, screw this. And I went and I was like, I'm going to try starting a business. And then Baron Big came about through that. So fast forward, you own a company that produces goods in seven countries of the world. What's the total product count these days? It is over a hundred. I mean, I've done all of them. So that's the gist. I, I kind of lost count. After a hundred, I figured that was a milestone and I could stop counting, but it's quite a few. <laughs> what are the biggest challenges that you're struggling with these days? Is it all about creativity still or some other more real life problems? <sighs> Well, there's so many, you know, we're, we're still relatively small compared to some of the big notebook companies. And so as a small business, there's the necessity to wear many hats. You know, you're one day I'm writing code to fix a problem on our site. The next day I am on a phone call asking someone why this piece of software doesn't work right. And then I'm, you know, kind of everywhere and it's starting. It's, I want to say that I'm grateful for everything that we've achieved, but I also am challenging myself to put more of my time on the future and less on the present and let the team do more of the present. And it's hard because there are certain things that Joey is the default person for. Like I have written 95% of all the words you see in our emails and in our website and on our packaging, just like everywhere. And, you know, if there's a weekly email, it's like I'm constantly being pulled back. So my biggest challenge really is detaching myself from today so that I can solve big challenges down the line. Like, where do I take this business if Baron Big is the company for thinkers and for ideas? What does that look like in a year or three years or five years? And it's hard to get the time because it's obviously not pressing as all this other stuff. So that's my struggle right now which I'm sure will change probably if you ask me in a week, in a month. Let's talk about creativity. And for me as a designer, creativity is almost like a swear word because design is problem solving. It's a restrictive, boring craft where you have to satisfy stakeholders and the users and so many restrictions and stuff. Um, so I'm always very hesitant saying that like designers are creative. And what are your own pet peeves around the term creativity? I think it's uh, very similar to the word entrepreneur, where you're kind of like, oh, you're an entrepreneur, aren't you? You know, oh, You're creative. <laughs> yeah, okay, dude. Very uh, creative. <laughs> yeah, I'm very creative. But I'm trying to, to, I believe that there's a problem. I believe in the power of language and the influence it has on us. So for example, quick story, there was a tribe that was discovered that had not had communication with the outside world for ever. And European researchers visited this island 
and they learned the language and they found that the people living there had the same word for the sky and the grass. Okay. The same word. And because of that, they could not tell that the sky and the grass was a different color. They didn't have blue and green. And that's how powerful language is, that it shapes the way we view the world. And so I, I agree with you. The word creativity is kind of like, come on, dude, you know, show with that. <laughs> but really, let's bring it back down and let's, let's just be practical. Creativity is the practice of ideas. That's it. It's someone who does ideation for a living uh, in some regard. Designers do a lot. Accountants do a lot in their own way and so on and so forth. Even basketball players, creative ways of getting around their opponent. That's it. And when you take creativity and you apply it, that's just called self-expression. That is all I'm trying to get through is, hey, this is what it is and this is how it works, which um, I want to demystify it, right? So I told you before we spoke that when I was writing this book, people were constantly like, Joey, are you going to finally teach us the magic? And of course, my answer was no, not because I can't teach creativity. It's just not magic. And I always say to people, okay, if, if it were magic, do you think myself or any other designer would get paid if it was not completely reliable? And if it's reliable, don't you think there's a way and a method to do it? So that's the, that is what I'm here to write about. And then people are like, wow, that makes sense. I never thought about it that way. But do you think that creativity is a, something you're born with or something that you can learn or something that other people should or can teach you, for example, at school? Or do they do an opposite thing at school? I'm curious, what's your opinion on it? Great question. NASA, you're familiar with NASA, right? Sending people into space. They can, you know, they're down to the millimeter light years away with what they do. They did a study that found that 98% of kids are at the creative genius level when they're age five years old. Okay, 98%. By the time we're adults, that number goes down to 2%. Like an astronomical failure of society in terms of creative excellence, creative culture. So to answer your question, yes, I think pretty much everyone, 98% of people, are creative. And the problem that we have is that kids are these creative geniuses, adults lose it, and then I wrote a book to help you get it back. I'm not teaching you, I'm helping you remember, is how I look at it. The book we are celebrating today, it's, it's got 92,000 words, which for those who don't write, it's the size of a pretty big novel, not your average business book. And you describe 39 laws of creativity, which sounds like a lot of laws, not like, you know, three Newtonian laws or stuff. Yeah. <laughs> What kind of tome is it? Are you trying to teach people everything? How like, or are you trying to give them principles? Like what's your strategy there? Okay. So I think the reason that this type this book has never been written before is that because people have tried to put creativity into a three or five or seven step bucket and there's just tons of holes it's it's not possible <laughs> even when i pitched to one of the editors of one of the best selling books of the last five years globally 
the guy who basically guided that book into fruition, even he said, Joey, you, people don't want to read 39 laws. They want to read five. And I, I said, I, it, then I'm not going to write the book. I'm going to write how it should help people. And if it doesn't sell, that's fine. But I'd rather write a book that actually provides insight. So the book is divided into three parts, foundation, process, and excellence. In foundation, you're taught how to think creatively. Like, why are kids so creative and adults lose it? That, this part addresses that. Then in the second part, process, is literally a chronological how-to guide of 18 laws that start from when you have no idea but you want an idea all the way to publishing it and getting your idea in the world. And it, you could read that as, a, like I said, a how-to guide, or you could pick and choose where you need help. And then in excellence is how I've had the, the privilege of working with incredible creators through Baron Fig. Um, you know, James Clear, Roxanne Gay, Netflix as a company, you know, way, way more powerful creatives than I can even remember. And I've been able to observe them in action. I've collaborated creating products for a long time. And I've noticed that there are laws to how they got as good as they did. And so there's a third part excellence that has, I think it's nine or 10 laws that are just about how to rise above everyone else. So if you're, you know, like you and I are designers and say, Hey man, you know, I know how to make stuff. Cool. Well, here's how the greatest people make stuff. Maybe you could learn a little bit from that section, for example. And so that's, that's the book. 39 laws spread across all of them. Did you just sit down and write it from, from your, you know, uh, from your mind, like putting it out on paper or did you do massive research and you're like, oh, that's one I didn't mention. That's one I didn't mention. I should include it. What was it like? Yeah. So this is a curious question. I'd been taking notes for years. I knew I wanted to write this book without a doubt, just witnessing the average person's aversion to creativity in any way. And what we said earlier about language, I knew that I wanted to get this message out and I, I knew that it was important enough to me that I was going to do it. So I took notes on my phone for a decade. And it, I mean, it went from phone to phone to phone to phone. Like it's just this note doc kept going. Finally, I sat down in December, 2020, and I wrote the table of contents in a few hours in one day. And I had editors that reviewed it and like, largely we moved a couple chapters, but largely like that's the book and it just congealed super quickly. Also, thanks to my wife who said during the pandemic, you know, I think she was tired of me talking about the book so much. She was like, she stopped me mid-sentence. She's like, if you don't write this damn book now, while we're stuck <laughs> quarantined at home, you're never going to write this. And I was like, oh, you're right. So I started that. And to answer your question, it mostly came from my experiences, but all of that was confirmed over and over through working with other people and talking through to other people and having conversations with people who are doing it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. One of my questions was, because I have heard that the pandemic has, uh, you know, accelerated your book process and I was uh, preparing to ask you how, but now we've got a very full answer. Do you yeah. think that pandemic beyond the limits of your family has influenced the way humans think, create and such? Yeah, I think it, it, First and foremost, the way we operate now, everybody's, this is, this is certainly not an insight of mine. It's just, we hear it everywhere. People are rethinking their lives 
and how they work, who they work with, who they work for, why they're doing what they're doing. And I think what's happening is you're getting a lot of, you have a lot of people who have come to the conclusion that they want to maybe be more fulfilled with their work. And I think creativity plays a huge part in that. In it's, it's the practice of ideas, right? It's a, you don't have to make a design or a product to be a creative. Make a spreadsheet and you're creative. So I guess the answer is yes. And I think this is going to hopefully be a little bit more appropriate than I even thought at first in terms of where we are as just kind of like a global culture at the moment. If you've been hiring in the past year for roles like customer success or uh, customer advocate that we hired recently, the number of people who want to shift from their real-life jobs into remote online is incredible. But I'm having strong doubts whether they're going to find happiness serving you know, in customer success for uh, SaaS companies instead. Like, are, are we not like dooming ourselves into different reality, which is equally... Yeah gloom <laughs> yeah i feel you there's two two bonus chapters i wrote that didn't quite fit in the book that you could get when you buy the books in the back go download them and one of them is how to be more creative at work and it talks about that because there you know how do you express yourself within customer service right and mm -hmm. the idea is you, you don't have to a lot of the times we ascribe creativity to the what what did he make What's he making? What are we going to make next? What does the company do? And we don't necessarily think about how. And the process of how we achieve things can also be a creative expression. And so the way someone chooses to interact with human beings through customer service, which I have done customer service myself for quite a long time through Baron Fig in the beginning, you can have a lot of fun with it. For example, I always was be myself and I would answer emails and then I'd ask people, what are you watching on Netflix? Or, you know, how's your day? Or have you heard about this thing that just happened, you know, or released like a game or whatever the heck it was. And I turned customer service into human conversation and I had fun doing it. And I did it for like three years. So when you look at the how and not just the what, you are still able to have a lot of expression and do things your way and still achieve the same what as someone else or, or the what that some manager told you to achieve. I think you just formulated the way why uh, we're running our own SaaS company instead of going and making like 10x money as consultants because we can do things our own way in a good yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's like immense you know, human value to that. And I, th I think one thing the pandemic taught us is that Happiness is probably a whole lot more important than we realize than just that paycheck. And I think, you know, in my personal life, I've seen a lot of people take downgraded salaries to do something that they enjoy more. In sort of a blitz fashion, could you give us uh, your favorite three laws from each part of your book? So just sort of a taste of what, what's yeah. inside. Yeah. I'm pretty sure 39 is an overkill, but just some of them would be a lot. All right. Your well, favorites. I'll start with number one is the law of expression. And it says, embrace the parts of you that others call weird. Don't hide what makes you different. Allow those parts to float to the top and be seen by all. Your uniqueness is what makes your creations original, effective, and memorable. 
Scary, and, huh? <laughs> right. That's the law. Very and that's scary. number one. But I go about proving it through math. Okay. So I'm going to take a detour here and just, and I won't detour the other laws, but I will detour this one. And I'll say, think about this. Okay. Say I ask you to give me three things that you really like. I know you like scuba diving. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Can you give me two more things? It could be a movie that you really like, a book, video game, whatever it is. All right. A movie. We just had a uh, <laughs> team call about our favorite movies and like three people mentioned Baby Driver because Ooh. of the way it mixes uh, music and action and how it's made and stuff. So that's for the movie. And for the book, Anti-Fragile, probably one of my favorites over the last few years. Anti-Fragile? Yes. Okay, so we've got Scuba, Baby Driver, which is awesome. Anti that is more on the random side, but yeah. <laughs> yes, which I haven't read. So take these three things. And let's say there's a thousand options for each. And there's more. Like there's way more than a thousand activities you can be doing. There's way more than a thousand movies and way more than a thousand books. But let's just limit it to a thousand options for each. Together, there's a billion permutations of that which means right off the bat, with just three things, you are only one in eight, okay? Now, if we add one more and add a fourth variable and say, I'll add this one for you. Say you like The Legend of Zelda, the video game, okay? There's way more than a thousand games. With those four things, the combinations is one trillion, which is 128 times the population of Earth, okay? Which means, and I'm getting somewhere here, which is when you put yourself into your work, the more elements that you get in there, the more unique your work is, genuinely. No BS. Not like we tell the kids, here's a trophy for participating. You're, such, you're so special. But genuinely, when you take all this stuff that you love and figure out how to have it influence what you do, it actually becomes unique. So I go into a bit more, but that's the law of expression. And now you can kind of see how I think. It's like, I'm not just... Ah, giving you these ideas, but I want to actually try to prove it. What's another one that I like? The law of continuity says that failure and success are directly proportional. I'm going to say that again because it's, it's profound, in my opinion. Failure and success are directly proportional. The more you fail, the more likely you are to exceed. So failure is not a true end, but a lesson to go forward. So it's not only is it permission to fail, but it's like, if you fail a lot, the odds of success increases. And then I, of course, go on to explain pretty clearly how that works. I think Gary Vaynerchuk said it in a more rough way, something like, it seems that on everyday level, I'm I'm swimming in four letters, but on the global level, it seems like I'm making progress. Well, that's, that's true for any entrepreneur. It's at least my 15 years are close to that. <laughs> it's a lot of controlled failure, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's, I think like, you know, the theme of the book really is comfort with the unknown. And this is just another way of being comfortable with the unknown. Another law, law of specificity, I'm jumping forward, law 17, is make for yourself and you will appeal to many. Make for many and you will appeal to none. Okay? Pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. But again, I go and I prove it. So think of it this way. Say I want to make the, the, a glove that could work for everyone, okay? So they're like, just this 
totally inoffensive gray. They're nothing fancy about them. They're really simple, minimal. They fit well. Uh, they have no flourishes whatsoever, but anybody could wear these. And you would say, wow, a lot of people are going to buy these because they're so generally applicable. But then you think about, uh, that's the broad approach. Then you think about a narrow approach. Well, what if I made gloves that were extremely lightweight, had contact for your iPhone or your Android so that you could touch the screen, had a strap that you could easily take on and off, and they would be terrible for construction work or for boxing or for skiing or for scuba diving, but they'd be really good for going to your house to your car. In every instance of someone who wants to go from the house to the car, that glove is going to win. So what happens is we get gloves for go, you know, going to the car, for commuting. We get gloves for boxing, for scuba, for golfing. And those general gloves, while they could be worn by anyone, are purchased by no one because the specific, the narrow, wins every time. That's the law of specificity. There's a story with uh, the average pilot size, a pilot suit that didn't, in fact, fit anyone in, I, I don't know what agency, uh, US, some U.S. Uh, agency were tasked with creating cabin sized for like an average pilot and it didn't fit anyone. Like it was horrible. Wow. I never heard that. That's cool. I got, I got to look that up. That's the point is when you try to make for everyone, you often make for no one. I'll give you one last one. The law of growth. Learning has no limits. Do, don't be content to master one skill and neglect others. Without diversification, your strengths can turn in your weaknesses. You'll commit to being a student for life. So your strength can be a weakness. I'm trying to parse that. Please elaborate. Sure. Happy to do so. Let's talk about Bruce Lee, okay? <laughs> so Bruce Lee, incredible human being. Actually, you know, a lot of us think of him as like a martial arts movie star. He was only in, the movie, in Hollywood for three years at the end of his life. His whole life is actually a martial arts master and teacher. Very little movies. It was five movies and then he died, unfortunately. And all that say, he knew what he was doing with martial arts. So he came to the U.S. and he started his martial arts school. And at the time, the other Chinese martial art masters in California didn't want him teaching non-Chinese people. Right? This is you know quite a long time ago. It was a cultural thing to be protected. They believed. But Bruce Lee believed that anyone who wanted to learn should be able to learn martial arts because it it's an art. It's a beautiful thing. So he started teaching everyone. Well, he pissed off a bunch of masters. One master threatened him and challenged him to a match. And the match was if the master wins, Bruce Lee stops. And if Bruce Lee wins, Bruce Lee gets to do whatever he wants. So Bruce Lee was like, I don't want to do this, but fine. If you want to, I will. So they meet up. Privately, only a handful of spectators. Bruce Lee is so fierce and so powerful that the other master turned around and ran. And Bruce Lee, because he had originally started on the streets in Hong Kong, he did not say, okay, I won. He actually chased them down, jumped on his back, beat the crap out of him, and made the person <laughs> say, I quit. I surrender. Now, here's where it gets interesting. After this, you would think that Bruce Lee, oh my God, I proved my point. My gung fu, he called it, the traditional pronunciation. My gung fu is incredible. I'm a master of gung fu. Awesome. I'm a badass. No, 
within a few months, Bruce Lee started to condemn mastery of a single martial art. And people were so confused. What the hell is going on? Why would you condemn? This is your greatest strength. You're a master of Kung Fu. Well, as it turns out, Bruce Lee realized that his strength was also his greatest weakness. So here's where we get to the answer. Because as it turned out, the style of mastery that the other person had was like in a game of rock, paper, scissors, where rock always beats scissors. It's not better than scissors because scissors always beats paper. But he, Bruce Lee just happened to be the rock to this person's scissors and destroyed him. And he realized there could easily be someone who comes who is paper to my rock and annihilate Bruce Lee. And from that moment on, he condemned single mastery, actually created a philosophy of martial arts called Jeet Kune Do, which is learn everything as much as you can. And that is what started mixed martial arts. He is the, the father of mixed martial arts. And that's why we have, you know, at least in the US, we have the MMA and everything has come from, oh my goodness, you need to know more than one thing because there's so many holes if you don't. Is that an origin story for the, those famous T-shaped uh, professionals, as they say these days? You know the term? No, T-shaped It's professionals? Like T-shaped because you go deep in one thing and then you have a bunch of surface skills and other... Oh, yeah. I haven't heard that, but that's that's the thinking. Yeah, so he, of course, was a master of Kung Fu, but he studied karate and taekwondo and actually fencing even to learn what <laughs> to see what he could learn from fencing of all things and boxing of course so yeah it is a t-shaped skill set and that allowed him to fill in holes and avoid and not have his strength be his weakness i think you named three laws could you could you add a couple more yeah if you want oh, you're enjoying this okay uh <laughs> my original plan was to do three of each part But uh, I, imagining it might be an overkill, but still lovely. Yeah, I jumped around. Let's see. Here's one. The law of the finish line. This is my favorite. I believe it's the last law in the middle, which is the process section. It's how you finally get your stuff into the world. The law of the finish line. And it says that the end is a fallacy. You don't reach it. You choose it. And when you do, when your creation leaves your hands and enters the world, it's no longer yours at all. And you have to then essentially, you have to share ownership of your idea now. So I, I use the example in the book. So I forget if I said this, but every chapter starts with a story. So you're going to read the Bruce Lee story. And you're going to read the one I'm going to tell you now. And I forget if I told you another one already. So this one is about the book, The Alchemist. Ever hear of it? Mm, Paolo Coelho. Paolo Coelho. Yeah. So okay. He wrote The Alchemist, and uh, people started pirating it. Are you familiar with any of this? Uh, not the story, nope. So people started, it was just when online piracy was at its peak, and so people were pirating everything. And of course, The Alchemist released, and people were pirating it. All these other book publishers were trying to shut it down, and we know that's like impossible. Right. You can once the once the file is out there, it's out there. You cannot remove something from the internet. It's it's like literally impossible. But they tried nonetheless. However, Paolo Coelho encouraged it. And he actually took, he said, you know what? If everyone is downloading 
my book for free and pirating it, screw it. I'll put them on my website. Come to my website and download them for free. I want everyone to read this book. That is my first goal as an author. What happened is people went and downloaded it by the millions and discovered the beauty of the book. And it became one of the best-selling books of all time up there with like Harry Potter and all this stuff. And it was because he didn't fight what happened after he made his creation and put it into the world. And that's um, an example of the law of the finish line. I love it. I think I've heard the story, but I never, never realized that it's the reason for the book's success. Do you, is it clearly yeah. attributable? Yes. Yes. Well, no, that, that is his that first is... book. <laughs> I think they made a thousand copies. It didn't sell well. They stopped printing it. He wrote a second book. Same thing. Then his third book was a hit. And this is when it all went down. And then he gave it away for free. And yes, it, it was not an immediate hit by any stretch. Well, that's an amazing story. I'm so glad you mentioned storytelling because uh, that was one of my polishing questions for our interview today. How do you feel storytelling and creativity, well, obviously you use a lot of storytelling in your book. Do you feel like that was an important factor in your Berenfig success? Obviously, yes, because yeah. you're saying the power of words and other things, the power of the language. Yes. So I, I was an English major first. I did all of my uh, English and philosophy. I did my four years and that ended during the financial crisis of 2009 here in the U.S., 2008, 2009. And so there were already no jobs for English and philosophy before that. <laughs> so it's like after that, there was nothing. So I, I managed by some miracle to go back to school for four year, four more years for design. And I did eight years straight. And I realized the power of story and ideas because I took all the English major stuff that I had learned, writing and narrative, and setting and plot, I and all the philosophy, ideas and concepts. And I put it into my design and everybody loved my work. It was just class after class. I was, you know, one of the top, if not the top student. And it became apparent that this was a combination that worked. And so then I put it into Baron Fig. And so the long or short answer is yes. Storytelling has been at the heart of everything for me forever. What's your advice for learning to storytell? I'm better as a written storyteller than a verbal one. <laughs> I don't get as much practice telling stories, whereas I write every day. So I just have sharpened it. However, if I had to say, what are my tips? My favorite tip, which I'm going to take from uh, Kurt Vonnegut, is start as close to the end as possible. So I, I didn't tell you all about the setup of why Bruce Lee was in the United States or why he learned martial <laughs> arts. Like, it just didn't matter. You get to the point and um, you'd be surprised how quickly you can engage people when you're not boring them with uh, some of the, the setup that might be good for written word, but is not necessarily good for spoken. I love that. That's not an obvious advice that I was expecting to hear. Uh, that's great. Cool. <laughs> Fantastic. 
Joe, the, the most weird way to, um, the, the weirdest uh, way to finish the conversation would be to start, why do we even need this? But I know that's a question you'd love to share with our <laughs> listeners. Yeah. Why, why do we all need to care about creativity? Yes, that is a good question. Great insight. <laughs> it's, it's important to note this because I think, you know, I'm saying all this stuff about, hey, creativity is something everybody does. And a lot of people are like, okay, Joey, but who cares? And you should care for three simple reasons. I think you will care is the data has shown, and I won't bore you with the numbers because people's eyes gloss over, but kids are more likely to graduate from college when they participate in creative activities. Adults are happier and they literally statistically earn more money when they work in uh, creative applications, when they actually apply their creativity. And third, there's a lot of business leaders out there would love to hear organizations who employ creative processes and invest in creativity are more productive and have higher revenue growth. Period. It's better in every regard to just involve yourself in creative thinking because really, like we said way back in the beginning, it's the practice of ideas. If you have better ideas, kids will go to college more likely, adults will probably make more money, and companies will probably make more money. Simple as that. So even from a fundamental point of view, if it's something you're on the fence about and you're like, well, who cares about creativity in my life? That's why it matters to everyone to be more creative. There was one tip from Rafa Cohn recently about bringing fun into work and that fun is always unnecessary. I, I love to have, so basically everything that's going to delight yourself and the users is by definition going an extra, taking the extra step from functional to something else. So that's nice angle to the same idea, I think. I love that. It, you have to do the unnecessary to have fun. That's beautiful. But I do have objections to that, though. As, as a you know, tired professional, I, I come to work, well, myself sometimes tired, maybe people out there, our teammates sometimes tired. They just like want to sit down and do the work and get over with it. And now there comes the boss and says, now let's get creative, let's diverge, let's brainstorm and let's like pump out your pump your creative muscle. And I, I can't imagine there is a backlash happening in my mind there. What's what's your advice on it? Yeah, so this, this is a challenging one because as I was writing that uh, chapter on how to be more creative at work, that came up from my editor. She said, well, what if you have a boss or a manager <laughs> that is not on the same level or in, aligned with your thinking? Um, I've got... One more very short story to answer this, and it's 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 a hard one to answer. So a couple weeks ago, this is recent, I was sitting around the dinner table with some friends, and they got on the subject of talking about their worst jobs, okay? <laughs> and they're all listing, like, like, they were only supposed to do one job each, and they're listing job after job. So finally, it gets around to me, and I don't have a worst job, genuinely, and I've had many jobs. I've been working since I was 13. I don't have a worst job. And that bugged me. So I didn't know why. Why is my experience so different from theirs? And later on, I realized that it's because I had always spoken up at work. Regardless of 
like I didn't have fear of what someone was going to say. Really. I spoke up how I felt about something. And so I always felt like I understood their intent or they understood mine, or I felt like I had expressed myself and that was important and helped align what I was doing. And so my answer is if you have a boss, that's a pain in the ass on some level, you're going to have to talk to your boss and tell them why they are not being the best for you that they can. I've done it. Okay. I know I'm a boss now, but I wasn't always a boss and I've had to have these conversations and I usually would just say, Hey, I just want to talk for five minutes. Here's what I'm seeing. What do you think? And I, that's how I would present it. So for people who are being stressed by the, their managers or their bosses or whatever, I know it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but I do think it's worth talking to them about how they could help you do your job better. There is a book I've been enjoying lately. It's called Crucial Conversations by uh, Carrie Patterson and, and the team. And uh, one, one saying from it is, You've talked to your teammates about your boss that something is wrong. You've talked to your wife about your boss. You haven't talked to your boss about your boss. Like that should not be their case. (laughs) Yes, that's so true. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And it is scary. It is. It it can be scary. Another two cents on the same. Like, just imagine what kind of person I was as a child in the kindergarten. They would put everybody to the day rest, like day sleep, and they. The woman would go and say, the teacher, whatever, now all kids, please lie down, your hands on the side, close your eyes and don't move. And I would be the one who'd actually not move for an hour while she was away. Well, can you imagine what other kids can do? Just the level of compliance I was born with. Uh, oh my gosh. It took years of work to overcome <laughs> to, to the human level. <laughs> wow. Well, I think you're amazing now, so... It's uh, pedagogically insane to to do to kids. (laughs) Nobody listened uh, except me. So pretty bad. That's that's an awesome story. (laughs) Joey, thanks so much for joining us today. This conversation was amazing. Where can people go to get more of your book, get more of you and your teachings and your products? Yeah, three spots and I had a beautiful conversation. I'm always curious when I hop on what's going to happen. And I'm so pleasantly surprised with how much I enjoyed this. So thank you. There's three ways you can do things that might work out. <laughs> Check out the laws of creativity at joeycafone.com slash book, or you can visit Baron Fig, see what I'm up to there at baronfig.com. And finally, if you want to connect on Instagram or Twitter, I am at joeycafone. Would love to say hello. And that's about it. There I am. I know you do have a special discount for our listeners uh, at baronfig.com. Yes. Don't you? We do. Thank you for reminding me. So this is, now not everybody gets this, but Jane gets this. And that means you all get this. If you go to baronfig.com and use the code UIBREAKFAST, you're going to get 20% off your entire order. Now, because it's such a huge discount, it's time limited so grab it while you can because i can't keep it live forever uh but baronfig.com ui breakfast and that includes my book thank you so much that's super generous uh with the thank you in mind that is it's it's real life merchandise not not just some ebooks you know so that we yes, really it's all appreciate real that. and physical <laughs> thank you well 
Thank you so much once again and have a wonderful rest of your week and good luck with the book launch. I'm hoping it's it's going to go well. Jane Portman, thank you for having me.